You're listening to The Whole Church Podcast. Our efforts to educate and unite the church are made possible thanks to our sponsors on Patreon. Please consider joining them for $3 a month, where you can get discounts on our special merchandise and our upcoming event, the Every Tribe, Denomination, and Tongue Convention. Romans 15, chapters 5-9 through 9 in the North American Standard Bible read, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another, according to Christ Jesus, so that one purpose and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ has also accepted us for the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision in behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers, and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. Here, St. Paul is writing to the church at Rome, encouraging them to be witnesses to God through their love of one another. He states one goal is to worship God in one voice together, then he commands the church to accept one another. In our context today, with so many different church gatherings and polarization rampant, what does this call to accept one another look like to you now? You guys are right to point out the idea that the polarizations, churches gathering with different styles and different convictions is really a huge deal. What is, it, what is this called accept one another look like now in this context today? Yeah, I think it's got to start with humility, you know, a, a position and a posture towards others that we may disagree with to say that ultimately, um, if, if this is a brother, if this is a church, that we've got some first tier um, commonalities. And I think this is where the idea of theological triage becomes really helpful. Um, there's certain issues that we don't have to agree on, and that's okay. Um, but we've got to remember that there are a lot of things that we do agree on, and sometimes those things that we disagree on become elevated in our minds. We neglect the fact that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was born of a virgin and offered himself for us. Um, we forget that we're in agreement on these larger issues. And so I think that's another part of the answer to this question, not only uh, posture of humility, but a mindfulness of the theological concepts that we are in agreement with that really make us uh, make us the church, those fundamental core doctrines that the church has believed for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Gotta love when someone brings up the, the three tiers in the intro. That's great. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to your favorite church unity podcast on possibly your second favorite church network, church podcast network. I don't know. Could be, could not be. One thing I do know, um, and this is just a fun fact for everybody. The word legend was actually invented um, in response. You know, some people think it was always just, you know, had to do with like mythology and myths. No, no, no. The word legend was actually invented when, when Tiberius Juan was first created. And uh, it, it was just a word invented to describe my co-host today, TJ Tiberius Juan Blackwell. How's it going? Great. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, an, an equal legendary guest we have today, um, Professor Andrew Lucius. Uh, we know him thanks to Dr. Peter Beck, who's been on just a couple weeks ago. Um, professor Andrew is the professor of worship at Charleston Southern University. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, yeah. And this is uh, this is going to be the end of our church services series. We're just talking about the services of church and something that got brought up, I think, in every single episode was just how worship was done or worship and song was done at these different churches. So excited to talk more about that with the professor who teaches that. So should be a fun time. 
Yeah. And we wanted to remind you, we wanted to remind you guys check out the convention website in the description below. You got about three weeks, a little less. Uh, so check it out. Come visit, hang out with us and your other favorite podcasters. Uh, we got to play games, enjoy some clean comedy, a little multicultural worship. And thanks to some generous donations and major changes in our plans, the event will now be a pay-what-you-want event for online or in-person attendees. Yeah. yeah. We also would like to announce that uh, AMP, our uh, podcast network, and as our ministries podcast, uh, has officially launched, and we are a part of it. If you like our show uh-huh. and want to check out others like it, Christian podcasts that aren't afraid to ask the bigger questions, then check out the link in the show notes or just look up Audazow Ministries Podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. Always a fun time. Lots of stuff that hopefully should make it more convenient for listeners of some of our shows that are part of that. Um, now, now uh, Professor Andrew, I, I'm excited to let you know about this. Um, I actually have a very important spiritual practice I do. It's the um, It's the one clear definitive way that all Christians can be unified. And it's just by okay. practicing silliness. It turns out <laughs> if you're silly enough, people do come together. That's yeah. true. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's what Veggie Tales taught us all. So that's today's right. silly question um, has been part of a series. We've been trying to figure out where different of our favorite Star Wars characters belong as far as what church denomination we think they would fit in with the most. Uh, so today we're going to ask, what church service do you recommend Finn from the sequel trilogy. What, which, uh, where do you think he should attend? What do you think he would enjoy and agree with most? Um, TJ and I will answer first and give you time to think about it. TJ. Okay, perfect. Yeah, let's go. Where's Finn? I want to say Anglican. Just on vibes alone. <laughs> just just cause. Okay. Just cause. Fair enough. Fair enough. For some reason, I was thinking he'd be a good Methodist. But I think it's just because like he kind of reminds me of um, Reverend Justin Coleman we had on here. Oh, yeah. Kino, too. Yeah, turns out both of the Methodists that I know really remind me of Finn. <laughs> no, I know other Methodists too. Nothing about it. My cousin's technically Methodist. She does not remind me of Finn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm like gonna that. say, uh, well, yeah, it's interesting. You guys both put him in the in the Protestant camp. I think you're right. You know, with that, I think of Finn rebelling against the the Empire. Right, that's kind of who he is, and coming yeah. to that realization himself. So uh, certainly not Catholic. Um, we'll. we'll place them grew up Catholic. The empire uh, sorry to offend any of your listeners <laughs> but i think he's yeah, definitely part of uh, he's definitely part of the reformation and uh i think i was thinking anglican actually yeah so i'm gonna side with oh, tj okay. on this I'm, I'm gonna say anglican now, yeah. do you have other reasons other than vibe or are we just sticking with vibe <laughs> Well, you know, I, I was, I was you know, thinking about, do we compare him to Poe? Because I think in some ways these guys are uh, working together, but they also provide some balance. So Poe is kind of the, the reckless rebel. He's the Anabaptist. Oh, so right? he's, oh, I was going to say he's the Pentecostal. Okay. Or, or it could be Pentecostal. Too, yeah, yeah. He, he's, he's kind of further out there. Uh, Finn is not quite, he's not quite there. So I think he's somewhere between Catholicism and whatever's that other extreme. And uh, Anglican feels feels right to me there, right in the middle. Yeah, yeah. he yeah, definitely. See, that argument won me over. I like he, that. He, he reads liturgical to me, but yeah, not Catholic. Distinctly not Catholic. Yeah, yes, very that's not right. Catholic. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I love that question. All right. <laughs> me too. Oh, man. So so for those who've been following on or haven't been following along, um, we're doing the church series, church services series. That's a word sometimes. Um 
And the reason we started doing this was because we've had a lot of guests, you know, at the end of our episodes, we usually ask, what's one thing you would recommend people do to come together in unity better in the church? And a lot of times people say something like, hey, go visit other churches, see how other people are worshiping. Mm -hmm. And we're like, okay, a few of us did that and realized, yeah, that can be really overwhelming if you have no idea what to expect at all. So we did a whole service to just help people prepare. If you're going to visit these other churches, see how your brothers and sisters worship and what they're doing over there. Um, now you can do it and kind of know what to expect ahead of time. That's sort of our goal. Mm. Um, that means Ed, we also realize, you know, a lot of people find podcasts the way I do. And they just are like, hey, I'm about to go to a Baptist church. Or I'm about to go to this church and just lift it up. So this might also be someone's first time going to a church or encountering our podcast or anything. In which case, hey, welcome. Yeah. Welcome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Andrew. Professor Lucius, uh, yes. would you mind briefly sharing with our listeners your testimony and what church you're a part of now? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. Yeah. So I, um, I grew up in a Christian home and uh, my parents were always in church when I was growing up. Uh, even though they weren't vocationally working in the church, we were there a lot and uh, developed close friendships there. Um, was a part of a really healthy church. It was a Baptist church, um, probably leaning more um, charismatic in some of its practices, especially regarding worship, uh, very free church. So absence of liturgy and, you know, we could talk about that kind of stuff later, but, um, yeah, when I was in high school, just felt the Lord really, um, in the midst of a lot of anxiety, um, working in my soul and, uh, bringing me to the point of seeing I'm a sinner and there's no hope for me without Jesus. And so, um, through conversations with my parents and friends and pastors, I uh, really believe the Lord uh, worked uh, a, a work of mm. grace in my life, in my heart, to save me from my sins and place me squarely in uh, in the church. And uh, from there, it's just been a process, a slow process of sanctification and growth. And uh, I would say the one consistent theme from that moment of conversion to today has been a, a love for the church. And, uh, and so right now my wife and, and my family were involved in a church in, uh, in Charleston called Friendship Baptist. Uh, we're new there. Uh, only, we've only been there about four months since moving to Charleston. And uh, it's been a, a huge blessing. Um, and I can share more about that church specifically if you guys want to, to dive into that. But that's, that's where we've been worshiping for the last four months. Yeah, yeah, that actually was something we were gonna <laughs> ask about. Is um, yeah, what would you say makes um, what you you say Friendship Baptist Church in Charleston? Yeah, that's right. That's yeah, right. yeah. What what makes um what makes that gathering unique or stand out to you? The thing that that is most on the surface that I think anybody would say this is unique or maybe even weird <laughs> would be um, that the the church is um, almost eighty years old. And uh, about 10 to 15 years ago was really struggling like, like many churches were and uh, was really in need of revitalization. Um, there was a school that, that uh, connected to the church at that time, and the school is a bilingual school. So they speak Spanish and English. And from that nice. school, there's been a lot, of, a lot of people come into the church that are also bilingual. So every other Sunday, we have uh, bilingual services in English and Spanish all in one service. So that's pretty unique. I've never been a part of a church uh, like that. And uh, it's been really neat to see, but also uh, there's been challenges to that, even in the four months we've been there. So um, yeah, it's not without challenges. I know a lot of people want to see more uh, multi-ethnic worship, which is great, but it comes with some challenges. 
Oh yeah, I um friend of our show, occasional guest host uh, David Bizarro. Actually, I've been learning a lot from him about different technologies that have been mm. invented for like churches and different things specifically to do bilingual services so that they oh, can do like both languages at once and I'm like that's pretty interesting, yeah. Yeah, Not something that is interesting. I had heard of before he talked about it. Maybe he'll come on and talk yeah. more about it sometime. But it was pretty cool. That's cool. Yeah. Maybe so. That'd be awesome. Yeah. So one of the biggest differences outside of the liturgy uh, from church to church that we've discovered is in how churches conduct their worship in song portion of their services. Uh, some liturgical churches spread out hymns throughout the service. Some non-denominational services have modern music in the beginning of their service uh, that could last the whole time. And some do a mix of a couple hymns and a couple modern worship songs before the sermon. Uh, when you teach your classes on worship, is it ever difficult to find a starting point when so many people have so many different ideas about what worship is going into it? Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Next question. Right, great show. Yeah. <laughs> Next question. No, it's, um, yeah, it's really challenging. Um, and, and coming out of the church, so I served in ministry for the last 10 years. And, um, you know, when you're in pastoral ministry, you're trying to discern what's the heart language of the congregation I'm serving? What, what is the kind of music that is going to serve them most faithfully? Right. And, and it, it's, it's a much narrower, um, narrow path, even if it's multi-generational, multi-ethnic, it's going to be, uh, there's, there's a possibility of, of having a more narrow idea of what that is. But when you move into academics and you're getting students from really all over the country and you only have them for four years, um, not only is it difficult to figure out where to start, it's a constant challenge to determine where are the students at, where do I need to take them, where's the church at, how do I prepare them for that, how do I prepare them for um, you know, many different types of churches as far as um, song selections go. So yeah, it's, it's a really challenging, um, yeah. yeah, it's a really challenging aspect of it. And you know, we don't need any any help uh, having preferences on songs? Uh, they the students <laughs> even seventeen yeah. and eighteen years old come already with very ingrained preferences, and uh, and those preferences become not just this is the stuff I like, but within the church, within worship, it, it takes on this this form of this is what God likes, and I think that's mm -hmm. where things really become difficult to work through. Uh, because then it's this style is preferable to this style because this is more authentic or mm. this style is better because it's deeper theologically. You know, so there, there's all kinds of different landmines to navigate around that. I think the blessing of being in academics is that I can constantly push the, the students towards the church to handle those specific questions, not to say that we don't address them in the classroom, but, uh, you know, for me to be able to hold loosely styles that maybe I don't prefer um, mm -hmm. and say, you know what, there are churches that do. And it may be that God's called you to serve one of those and you need to be prepared for that uh, just as much as someone would be prepared for a different style. Yeah. Okay. So you, you talk about getting prepared. Um, I, I'm just curious as far as like what components do you teach? Like, do you teach them the songs themselves, you know, the instruments or just kind of more theologically, like what's behind the words? Is that Right. Yeah. We're going to do both of those things. I think the idea of, of teaching what's behind the words uh, is probably more unique um, and rare as far as uh, the worship academics as I see it. But it is something that we're concerned about. We want students to be able to 
to look at a song and discern what kind of theology is being taught in this uh, in this song. Uh, you could even maybe uh, label that as lyrical theology. What, what kind of lyrical theology is is in our church, and how is that shaping and forming people to believe certain things? Um, so we do talk about that. What I'm hoping to do most with our students is give them uh, the tools that they need to be able to do that them do it themselves, not just give them all the answers. So it's not a it's not a setting where you know I'll say we need to sing these songs but not these songs, or we need to sing lyrics like this but not like this. Um, I'm hoping to dive deeper in that and and cultivate in the students a discernment and the tools needed for them to be able to do it themselves. Because I don't want them to be calling me, you know, in 10 years. Hey, what do you think about this? I want them to be able to, to navigate those waters themselves. So, uh, yeah, to answer your question, there's there's both. Uh, we're going to do these songs. We're, we're probably not going to do some other songs in our ensembles or, you know, in their worship projects as they get ready to graduate. But more than uh, telling them what to do, I'm hoping to help them understand how to do the work of theological and lyrical analysis so that they can make their own conclusions about those things. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to deal with any, you know, the weekly phone call of, can we play reckless love at worship? That's right. That's <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, now you said you don't teach them which lyrics to say or not say, but I, I do assume you at least tell them it has to be sloppy white kiss when they're doing how he loves, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Well, that's you know, that's an interesting question. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think the the copyright on that's uh, you could go either way. You could go unforeseen yeah. or sloppy yeah. wet. I'm to be honest, I'm not sure which one's worse. <laughs> I would like to take yeah. an official stance on unforeseen. Um, I don't you like don't sloppy wet. That's see, yeah, keep no, see, keep that away from me. This is this is where the division starts because I'm sloppy wet. You know, that's you I, are. That, you yeah. sure are sloppy wet. <laughs> See, no, yeah, no. See, well, my thought process is really like more like artist power where I'm like, you know, okay, but that's what he intended it to be. And then changed it because people were trying to cancel it. And I'm like, I ah, know <laughs> I'm too big for freedom well, of speech. I've, what he originally got, intended. That's what I want. <laughs> I've got a different reason, but I'm going to side with you, Joshua. Ooh. I'm going to go Ooh. with uh, sloppy wet as well, because the idea of unforeseen just sounds terrifying to me, especially. Oh, yeah, that's in, also uh, scary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that, yeah a culture of a lot of. Um, you know, problems in the church regarding like sexual morality kinds oh, of stuff. Yeah. I, I'm going to refuse the unforeseen kiss. I'll take the sloppy wet. Yeah. So really when you sing, Oh, how he loves us, you're, you're choosing between um, being terrified or being grossed out. <laughs> That's right. Exactly right. Great yeah. times. Um, <laughs> getting a little bit back on track. Um, <laughs> what's it like to, to go to a class on worship? You know, if, if I were to be a student, do I get taught like, a specific structure like i know you said not what songs to use but like do you teach them like in certain churches you have to do hymns and break it up this way in some places you got to do too fast too slow i mean do you ever go through like the overall structure of a service when you do it yeah we sure do so this um this fall actually we've got a class called worship leadership and uh, we'll be reading a book by uh, a lady named constance cherry called the worship architect and she goes through uh ideas of of building services, uh, what different services historically have looked like. Um, Brian Chapel's got a book, Christ-Centered Worship, where he does some similar stuff. I think it's helpful. Um, so yes, we're going to really go at this from primarily historic uh, study of what the church has done, um, going all the way back to you know second, third century, and moving through the Reformation, what changes happened in the Reformation, what were the things that were rejected and thrown out, 
of worship. There was a, when we think about uh, the Reformation, I think we think a lot about sola scriptura and, and these kinds mm-hmm. of things and theological changes. Um, but there's significant worship changes happening there as well. So we'll look at that. Um, but the part of the, the class as well is, is exposing students to different styles. So they'll be required to go to three different uh, worship services and then write reports on those three. They have to be different in style. So one has to be a Catholic church. One has to be a liturgical oh, wow. evangelical church. And then the last one can be a liturgical free church. So again, just trying to expose them to as much as we possibly can so that they're not uh, as shaken, right? When they see, oh, this is very different. Uh, I, I hope they will have thought through uh, the process of planning the service, what other churches do, why they do it. And I think one of the things that I've come to see too is um, a lot of the elements between different church services are very similar. The structure yeah. changes, um, the, the, whether the prayers are read or not, that changes. The place of the supper versus the preaching changes. But a lot of it is all the same elements. It's just a matter of how they're positioned together and how the church interacts with them and with the pastor that's leading it. Oh yeah, yeah. I um, yeah. Some some of the minor changes. It's easy for yourself. Like I think it's just like human condition to to elevate it because it's not what you're familiar with. But when yeah, you really think about right. it, you're like that's ah, not first year. I um, shout out to our friend Will. I went to uh, Pastor Will's church. He's Lutheran church. I've been attending a different Lutheran church and I'm still kind of getting used to it. I grew up Pentecostal, so it's very different. I'm just at the point where I just accepted. I'm not going to know the hymns at all. What hymns yeah, we're doing, yeah. I'm not going to know them for several years. It's fine because yeah. there's a lot of them and I'm not familiar with most of them. But last week, there was two things that caught me off guard. Um, when they did the Apostles' Creed, instead of he descended into hell, he descended into death is what they said. And I, I said mm. the wrong word. And it's always awkward when everybody's saying the same thing and you're like, oops. Yeah. I was right, by the way, but oops. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then um, the, the other one was uh, they did the holy, 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 the hymn, the holy, holy. Yeah. And I yeah. got so excited. I was like, it's a hymn I know. Yeah, the words are different, though. So yeah, I didn't not, know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and yeah. that, that brings up an interesting, interesting idea, you know, with the um, – the movement towards digital music and away from hymnals, uh, especially in Baptist churches or free churches, mm-hmm. you could go to a, a church that's almost exactly the same in its liturgical structure, but find very different music song. Oh, yeah. And I think that's only become, going to become more common as we move forward into a digital age that's kind of post-hymnal. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I did want to ask, though, because, um, you know, some of the more liturgical churches, they do like the hymn spread out like that. Whereas a lot of your other churches do do the worship songs in the beginning. Do you right. have a preference on that? Like as far as like breaking the music up, not like necessarily what type, but do you like it broke up better or do you like it in the front better? Uh, I'm going to avoid your question by answering it a different fair. way. <laughs> uh, like no, that. I don't know that I have a strong preference on, you know, do we put all the songs up front and then the preaching or, uh, spread it out. I think what I want to see is a service that feels like one element flows into the next. Yeah. So what I wouldn't, what I would want to avoid is, you know, the first 30 minutes is the music guy and that's like his show. And then the preacher comes out and does his thing. And then the music guy yeah. comes out for the final song and it, and nothing really seems to fit together. Uh, I think the ideal service would be one that's been thoughtfully organized in a way that mm-hmm. one element flows into the next. I think there's some significance of how the how the church has worshiped 
for thousands of years that we need to at least consider. Uh, and as a part of that, things like confession and assurance of pardon, I think should be at least part of our services in some ways, which might break up that first section of music a little bit. Um, but I think generally what I would want to see more than you know musical preferences is a flow to the service that makes it feel like uh, one consistent kind of event and not broken up into multiple events within one hour and a half time slot. Yeah. Did you, um, is there a theological reason behind your desire to have it flow or is it just kind of like a, like, cause you know, just me as someone who's sitting there, I'm like, you know, it would just be nicer if it flowed. <laughs> yes. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, I think there are some theological reasons. Uh, one of the passages that shaped my philosophy of worship more than any others, first Corinthians 14, 26, and this is, of course, coming at the end of Paul's section on thinking about the church's worship at, at the church at Corinth, right? So worship should be orderly. First Corinthians 13 is about love. That's not for your wedding day. That's for the church. This is how the church should be loving one another. Amen. Um, he talks about spiritual gifts and speaking in tongues. The end of all of that, kind of the capstone verse of all of that, he says, let everything be done for the building up. Mm -hmm. And so I think that really should frame the service itself. And I think it builds up the church. Uh, I think we're more faithful in building up the church when we have a very thoughtful approach to our worship service that's organized in a way that makes it seem uh, cooperative and uh, focused on the message of the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. It's so like that. Personally, I think churches kind of need to backtrack just a little bit in like six, seven years. Uh, hymnals mm. just need to be replaced with nooks with the hymnal on it. And that's it. There you, you go. Know, it's almost modern. It's doing their best. You still get the words. You can still like pretend it. you know how to read music. That's right. That's right. That's one part I never understood. Like, yeah, like I can tell what this means. Why is this here for everyone else? Yeah. The um. So at the Lutheran churches, everyone I've been to so far, DJ, they they give out the um the handbook. I, I don't can't think of the word right now. Brochure. It's not called a flyer. Pamphlet. Yeah, sure. Bulletin? Yeah, the pamphlet. And it has the entire thing laid out and all the words to everything. So you mm -hmm. could just read it and you're good. But it does have the music signs on there. And I've, you know, when I visit my grandparents, I've seen that, but I've never actually seen that in a church like that I went to. So I still, I'm like, I don't, okay, these are here. And that was another thing that threw me off at Will's Church. Every time I have seen that, we always skip line three for some reason. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I just immediately skipped line three when I was reading the songs. And they don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> you got got. Yeah, I sure did. Uh, so, Andrew, do you have like a, a number one piece of advice for somebody who's trying to decide on the structure of a worship service? Um, just one. Huh? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it's probably consistent with the, the verse I just mentioned from First Corinthians. Um, let the worship service be for the church uh, and not for you. And I think there's a real subtle temptation for the worship service planner um, or the lead pastor, or preaching pastor, or the worship leader to uh, pick and arrange certain things so that um, they can do something they enjoy, which is not, not inherently wrong, but I think it may... It may miss the the more valuable 
uh, perspective. And I think it's also important to say here that, you know, Paul's exhortation in 1 Corinthians is that everything be done for the building up of the church. Um, mm-hmm. So the worship service should be focused on the local church, those in membership, um, in some ways to the exclusion of outsiders that would be coming in uh, that are not believers. Um, their exposure to the preaching of God's word and the church enjoying God together is what's meant to lead them to repentance, not necessarily entertainment that then in some way prepares them to receive the gospel. I heard somebody say once, you know, what you win them with, you win them to. And I think that's what Willow Creek found in their worship practices of a more seeker-sensitive church model is that uh, in the end of the day, we've got a lot of people that have become members of our church, profess Jesus, but they know nothing about him. And so I think that's uh, that's a danger we've got to avoid. So I would say, number one piece of advice, plan your worship service for the church. And how would you say worship leaders can know when they're doing it for the other reasons that you mentioned? And how do they avoid that better? Right. Yeah. Well, I think it, it assumes that you know the church, right? So I think this speaks to the value of longevity in ministry. Those that have been at a church for five to seven years are doing this better than those that have only been there one year. Those that have been there for 30 or 40 years are doing it best, probably. Uh, it's a general statement, but I think that would that should be the case. So I think that's that's one thing that the worship leader, worship planner needs to know the people. So spending time with them, you know, knowing what they're dealing with, um, knowing what songs minister most to them, uh, knowing what moments in the service, you know, are going to impact them the most. In, in the same way that a preacher might think in his sermon, this point that I'm going to make is going to be especially encouraging for this person in my church. The worship service planner should also be thinking this moment in the service is going to be especially encouraging for this person in my church or especially convicting. And and to be honest with you guys, I think that's probably the thing I miss most about ministry uh, now moving into academics is being able to look out over congregation and know what they're struggling with, know uh, you know, what the sorrows are, and then to be able to sing songs and to have elements of the service that uh, are really meant to encourage them. Mm. So that, that would be a positive way, right, to, yeah. uh, to, to try to move in that direction. I think the, the questions to ask for a worship leader uh, to discern if they've moved into a, an area that maybe isn't helpful would be, you know, why, or maybe ask this first, what kinds of songs are we choosing? And are they congregationally friendly? And there's a lot of things that we could unpack about that. Um, How many times do we have moments in our service where the congregation isn't participating? I think that's a huge Uh question. Um, And there's probably others as well that we could come up with that would be more diagnostic of, uh, are, are we really moving towards the people or are we moving towards performance or those outside the church? Because really the idea of liturgy isn't, uh, order of worship. Uh, Liturgy literally is the work of the people. And so uh, our liturgies should not just be worship service orders. They should be worship service orders that are focused on giving the church, giving the people of God work to do in worship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So do you have uh, like one good piece of advice for anyone who wants to visit a new church where they might do worship differently? Yeah. Um, the first thing I would say is that it's a really brave thing 
to go into a church you don't know. <laughs> and I think that's something we easily forget uh, if we've been at a church a long time. Um, maybe just you know one Sunday, take a little adventure out to a, a church you've never been to. It's it can be terrifying, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's all of these uh, all these questions that we're asking, you know is someone going to come up to me and ask me a question that I'm not going to know the answer to? Is it going to be awkward? Am I going to be uncomfortable? Uh, am I not going to know what's going on the whole time? Um, so there's a lot of things in it. So that's the first thing I would say is, you know, if you're, if you're looking for a church or you're, you're feeling that maybe the, the Holy Spirit's leading you to a new, uh, new place of worship, that's a really brave choice. And to follow Jesus in that is commendable. Um, as far as practical advice though, I think one of the things that is helpful anytime we have something new, whether it be a new job or in this case, a new church, is to, um, is to observe and learn, uh, to, to leave our mouths closed and just watch. And so I think that would be my first and maybe biggest piece of advice would be, you know, go, go into the church and sit in the back and watch. And don't feel guilty about that. Just watch how this church worships the Lord and be encouraged by it. Uh, be open-minded to it. Uh, none of us have uh, gotten worship perfectly. The New Testament is, <laughs> um, as far as worship practice is concerned, is pretty open. And so there's a lot of flexibility within that. So with an open mind, go and watch and and maybe even ask the question, where do I see God moving in this congregation? And uh, And just give it time. Uh, just give it time, but I think it's helpful for us to be exposed to different different styles that that aren't um, that we aren't accustomed to. Yeah, I think it's awesome. You have students uh, check out Catholic Church even as part of that whole exercise. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, so you mentioned that when they're picking their worship songs, that part part of it should be how is this impacting these this person in my church and that kind of thing. Um, is there ever a moment where when you're th- thinking of times in the service as, as a worship leader that you're like, this song's really going to bring the church together. Is that ever really a focus of worship music? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I mean, I can speak from my experience, uh, which is only 10 years, so fairly limited, but I do think, well, the church I was in was when I, when I came was very, uh, multi-generational. So we had people that were almost a hundred and we had, you know, children, infants that were yeah, you know, six months old. So, trying to figure out how do you create a service of worship where where such a huge age demographic is going to be served—that's a big question. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to come at it first by saying, when when we're not singing the thing that you want, or when we're not doing the thing that you want, this is a great opportunity for you to defer to your brother or sister who does want this aspect. Mm-hmm. There are unique moments, though, where you're able to bring both together. Um, and I'm really thankful, honestly, for the uh, the modern hymn writing that's happening today. Uh, I think it's a, it's a really wonderful movement. And uh, we don't just need that, but we do need that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a senior adult uh, after we introduced uh, Matt Merker's arrangement of He Will Hold Me Fast. Uh, one of the the new hymns coming out of Getty Music right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they came up to me and probably at that time they were late 80s and they said, I love that song. I want you to do it at my funeral. I'm like, okay, that's morbid, oh, but wow. sure. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, the instrumentation's modern. Uh, 
at the same time, we had college students that were really that were really becoming attached to it as well, which really just reminded me that uh, the church longs to sing together and they long to mm-hmm. sing good songs together. And it's hard to find those songs, but they do exist. I think that's one of them. And oh, wow, what a beautiful moment it is when when you can see true unity across different ages, different ethnic groups, um, not always possible, but certainly a foretaste of what will come, right? In Revelation, where we see every tongue and tribe and language around the throne in great unity, worshiping the Lord together. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, um, this is only tangentially related, but, uh, Jimmy Needham teased that there might be a volume two to his hymn session album. Okay. I'm really excited about that. (laughs) It was just today he posted on his Facebook and I was like, do it. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Yeah, we're actually at the convention. We're dropping our the whole church uh, hymn session. So it's just TJ playing the didgeridoo to different hymns. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's fine though. I think you'll find a, a large market for that. <laughs> Huge, uh, you know, massive. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the Aboriginal demographic is all ours. <laughs> there you go. So outside of the actual church service stuff, we did have a couple other questions. Um, yeah. What do you think of the more current worship music that's being made? And do you have any favorites? Yeah, I think it's helpful. Um, yeah, I think we we need to be able to express to God our um, love for him, our affection for him, the theology we believe uh, in multiple styles uh, and with multiple uh, tools of expression. And so modern songwriters are really giving us vehicles for that. I think there is wisdom to say that there's some songs that are are more congregationally appropriate and other songs that I'm going to jam out on five days a week. And <laughs> I love it, but I'm yeah. probably not going to sing it in church. Uh, that's okay. We need those songs too. Um and I won't give you any examples, any examples of ones I'm thinking of right now, but but I do think there there are some really helpful uh, songwriters that are writing in a more contemporary style as well. Um, I think there has always also been uh, errant theology in hymns and in contemporary music, and, and I think that's the case today as well. So we have to be careful with uh, with what we are listening to and what we expose our churches to. Uh, again, that gets back to just the thoughtfulness and t- intentionality with the lyrical theology side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I'm, I'm encouraged by really the amount of songs that are being written today and uh, I think one of the one of the things we've got to do better at is uh, song curation. Um, I don't know if you guys saw the article that came out a few weeks ago uh, that was looking at CCLI's top 25 and uh, really was revealing to say that there's really only about five, four or five groups that are writing uh, you know, top 25 CCLI songs. I, I think that's probably not a good thing. I think we've got to diversify a little bit because if we're only getting, you know, to get back to the question, if we're only getting a certain kind of genre of worship, then we're probably impoverishing our souls a little bit. So I think we've got to diversify more. Um, I think we need songs that help us express our love and affection, but we also need songs that are going to help us die well. And uh, and so we just we just have we've got to get a bigger theology in our contemporary m- music movement right now. And uh, and I think it's happening. It's just going to take some time. Hmm. 
Does that answer your question? I can't remember what the yeah, question was. Yeah. But do you have a favorite contemporary song? Oh, favorite like contemporary worship? song. That's a good question. Um, it was just like an extra question we tagged on. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. That's a good question. Um, Listen to Thousand okay. Foot Crutch's new album. <laughs> I was going to say, it's okay if he says uh, TJ's rendition on the didgeridoo. Uh, yeah, the didgeridoo. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, the didgeridoo hymn sessionals, the whole thing. <laughs> oh, you know what? I There's one by uh, by Tomlin that's newer that I was just listening to the other day. And I thought, man, this is a good song, but now I can't remember the name of it. Um, <laughs> that's always that how it goes. Yeah. It's a Tomlin song. Sense. You know, they're well, all the same. They're all the this, same. Maybe, is it easier to say, do you have a favorite old hymnal that's like really your jam? An old hymnal? Yeah. Or an old hymn? Or old hymn. Oh, an old hymn. Oh, there's a difference between a hymnal and a hymn. A hymnal is the book. Oh, yeah, right, right, right. Okay, uh, I thought that was just hymn was just short for hymnal. Mm-mm. Man, that's well, just one already, of those like blind. Okay, <laughs> I do. I do have something I'm going to show you guys in a second with with hymnals. But uh, no, favorite hymn is probably going to be. Um, oh man. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna, uh, this is a little obscure, uh, but it's one I've, I really enjoyed right now. It's uh, it's called "God Moves in a Mysterious Way" by William Cooper, and uh, okay. yeah, it's it's really good. It's really good. Uh, maybe a second honorable mention would be uh, "Dear Refuge of My Weary Soul" by Anne Steele, mm. the OG Baptist hymn writer. So, mm. for those of you that don't know, go go look up Anne Steele. Good All right. Stuff. Can I show you a hymn real quick? Because this is yes, this is awesome. Yes. This is awesome and fun. All right, hang on. Hey, TJ, while he's doing that, do you have a favorite hymn? No. Well, no I favorite do. hymns. I do. Prayer Bells of Heaven. Church. But it has to be like an old Southern Pentecostal lady singing it, like who's really going to get it. But then, yeah, Prayer Bells of Heaven. And if you okay. could do that on the Did You Do, that'd be great. Okay. Maybe you could right, use so, the bell also. <laughs> so I um, I wanted a Methodist hymnal. So I, I oh, ordered cool one. Looking. Yeah, that's I ordered really one cool off looking. of off of eBay. So I didn't know this at the time, but uh, you guys, are y'all familiar with like Calvinistic theology and Tulip and all that? A little. Yeah. We've done okay. at least one episode on that. <laughs> okay. So, you know, uh, Wesley, uh, Wesleyans were, were more or less the opposite of all those things. Yes. Yeah, are not Calvinistic. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so if you open it up, it's got this, uh, you know, the hymnals presented to, if you can see it, and it's uh, presented to Tulip Street Church. That's funny. And I just think that's awesome. <laughs> that's perfect. That couldn't so be a more go. perfect thing. <laughs> I, know, I know. It just felt good. Yeah. Felt appropriate. Okay, yeah. Sorry for the digression, but I had uh, to show you that. That's the best example of church unity ever. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's exactly so, right. So how do the more out of line uh, Christian bands like uh, Skillet, Lecrae, Toby Mac, uh, Red, how do they play into this conversation for you? Uh, yeah, I think the CCM movement uh, is so fascinating. You know, if you go back to the eighties, you've got uh, kind of the beginnings, the genesis of all that. And, uh, I'll never forget my first CD was, uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman, the great adventure. You guys probably, Oh, that's a good one. I've never heard that one, but I got a bunch was, of Stephen Curtis Chapman for some reason. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. So that was like, that was a market. It was CCM. It wasn't worship music. Right, it was never intended to be sung in the church. Nobody's singing the Great Adventure in the church in the '80s. So something happens, really. I think in the late '90s, early 2000s, partially because of what's happening with Passion, 
mm-hmm. partially because of what's happening with Hillsong. You've got Integrity Music as well in Alabama. Kind of all these things are happening, Pabaloche and others. Um, and all of a sudden, there was this market that opened up for praise and worship music, uh, which really now includes Passion, Bethel, Hillsong, Elevation. Those are the main ones right now. Um, and, and because that got so big, the contemporary Christian movement uh, focused so much on that and kind of left guys like you've mentioned Lecrae and Toby Mac and Skillet. And so I see them in this other category of they're not writing songs for the church. That's really not their intention, right? Lecrae's uh-huh. not writing his music and, no. and hoping that people are going <laughs> to sing it in church. But what he is hoping is that he'll be able to communicate a message to believers that will have some kind of influence over how they live their life and what they believe. I think there's a place for that. Um, I think we don't have to, well, let me say it this way. I think that Christian music does not have to equal church music, if that makes sense. We can have Christian music that's really good and really thoughtful and really musically excellent. In fact, we need that. uh, that's not that doesn't have as its main purpose to get in and be sung in churches. We need both, and that's so that's where I would put Skillet, Lecrae, Toby Mac, other guys like that. Really great music. We need it. Not going to sing it in church. Although, if they did make a hymnal version of Lecrae's background from a while back, that would be pretty great. That's a good song. Okay, all right. Well, <laughs> but... Lecrae, if you're listening, there you go. Yeah. Um, now, my, I'm, I'm interested while TJ's figuring out that I put him on mute because the straw noise was bad. Um, <laughs> we're just casting crowns fall on this. Cause some of their songs I'm like, no, that, that could be a worship song. And then some I'm like, yeah. okay, that was definitely just entertainment. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think it's probably going to be difficult to completely put people on one side or the other. Yeah. Because it may be that skillet comes out with a song. that's like, this is really good, really good for the church. We need to sing it. Um, so it may be even album by album, song by song. We've got to evaluate that, not necessarily band by band. Fair enough. Because, yeah, so, sometimes Casting Crowns concerts do just become church service. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And maybe maybe groups, this is a little old school, but, you know, Delirious, Audio Adrenaline, Newsboys, <sighs> Audio Adrenaline, those guys sorry. would have been hitting some of the same kinds of things. Like I remember singing some of their songs in youth group growing up and – probably could have brought those over into the church if it was contemporary enough in its worship style. Yeah. yeah. I really like um, the Christian bands that are doing more to not just be like, like it felt like it was either worship or it had to be rap or rock and they didn't just do normal music. So mm. seeing like a uh, need to breathe doing some like folky stuff. I was like, yeah, good. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. yeah. I like rend collective. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. They're really yeah. good. I do love them, especially their campfire albums. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, do you, have any questions or thoughts that get you really excited when a student like brings them up that we haven't asked about yet? Mm, That's a good question. I think anytime I have a student that's making connections between musicianship and what's happening musically and pastoral care, those things make me excited. And theology is a part of that too. But, you know, when, when I, have a student maybe reference uh, something that happened or a way in which they were able to mu- to use music um, to help move people to greater hope in God, uh, or maybe asking questions around that. You know, how do I use music to uh, help encourage the church? Uh, those are the questions that get me really excited because I think that's when you see people 
are thinking about, at least as I see it, uh, thinking about these kinds of things rightly. Um, this is really a tool. Uh, yeah. Music and uh, lyrical theology is a tool uh, that should be used for spiritual formation of believers. And so, yeah, when students begin to make those connections, that makes me excited because that makes me think, all right, we're we're accomplishing something here. And these are going to be people that are able to serve church members well. Yeah. What, awesome. what a good answer. Yeah. So... Earlier, you told us your number one piece of advice for attending a church that does worship differently was to sit and listen, watch and learn. So what do you think could happen if everyone attended a different church to see how other Christians worshiped and just watched and learned? Yes, it needs to happen. That needs to happen. (laughs) Yeah, because I think sometimes the perception is we've got the Mm -hmm. right way to do it and everybody else is wrong. That's right. And uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I maybe just even kind of my own experience probably was thinking that way, too. And the more I'm exposed to different worship styles, the more I realize, you know what? The Holy Spirit's here, too. (laughs) And, and And it could even be that, you know, in a different church, there's something for us to to grab, something for us to gain that we can't find in our own church and and, certainly we need to be committed to one local church but uh, as we're able to experience others I think there's so much value in that Uh, top shelf would be a a growing towards greater humility and charity towards other believers Um, I appreciate you guys and and how that's such a focus of what you're trying to do and uh, even related to that you know the the ultimate sin of the early church wasn't sexual morality it was um it was uh, being divisive, you know, it was schismatics. Mm-hmm. That's what the church hated, hated. Augustine talked uh, very critically about schismatics. And we've lost that post, post-Protestant Reformation, the idea of the church is one. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think it, what, would, what would we gain? We would gain, gain greater humility. Uh, we, would, we would gain greater unity. Um, I think we would gain greater understanding of diversity mm-hmm. in worship. Um, so I don't see, uh, I really don't see any reason not to encourage people to on occasion attend other churches. And it could be there's, uh, you know, opportunities around holiday seasons to do that. My wife and uh, kids and I went down to an Anglican church for a Good Friday service uh, nice. a couple weeks ago. It was amazing. I was so encouraged. I'm not going to join the church. I've got a church and I'm committed to that. But man, it was so, so encouraging. Yeah. Now, did you see Finn from the Star Wars sequel trilogy? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. And in fact, we were ushered to the very front row. So I, oh, I, no. I didn't follow my, my own advice. And maybe that's coming out of that experience even. <laughs> yeah, I did Man, not see man. Finn there, but maybe he's in the balcony singing yeah. in the choir. Yeah, must have been. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so before we wrap up, uh, we like to do a segment called our God Moment. And we just bring up a moment recently in our lives, whether it be a blessing, challenge, mode of worship, uh, where we saw God in our lives. And I always make Josh go first to give myself and our esteemed guest as much time as we need to think about, you know, our past week or two or three or, you know, however long. So, Joshua, do you have a God moment for us this week? Yeah, I um, I in a weird way is uh, plan on going to a concert, Judah and the Lion. So. Not a Christian song concert, but not like a not Christian concert. But they um 
they actually had to cancel because of weather. So it kind of stunk. And my whole plan was to go to Wilmington and then stop on the way back in Raleigh, hang out with my best friend and then see Pastor Will. Well, the concert got canceled. So I really didn't have a reason to go on the trip anymore. And I just had realized it had been at least a couple years since I just went on a trip for the purpose of seeing my friend. So I got to go just for the sole purpose of us being together and hanging out and doing stuff and um, got to see Pastor Will. And just kind of a reminder of the blessing it is sometimes to just fellowship in person with other people and uh, just going on walks, talking to Will, going to church service and experiencing God with my friends. It was cool. Yeah, that sounds awesome. See, you invited me when I thought it was just a Judah and the Lion concert. If I knew we were going to go see our friends, I would have said yes. Oh, my bad. (laughs) My bad. Secrets out now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So for me, um, of course, you all know the Stanley Cup playoffs are on. I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) Mostly. I was expecting that, though. Uh, But we are getting super, super busy at work. And uh, the other day, this nice lady came in, horribly busy. It's Sunday afternoon. Yeah. If you go to Chipotle after church, please stop. There's so many (laughs) of y'all. But (laughs) this woman was so incredibly kind uh, and, you know, wanted to spread the word with us. And I felt really bad because, we, you know, we're slammed. We're too busy to actually talk. But the, the fact that someone is out there trying to spread the word, even as they're getting lunches is really nice to see. Mm. I love to see that. That is pretty cool. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. For me, I was um, sitting on our, our, we've got like this little back patio area and I was uh, sitting outside, I guess it was yesterday. uh, uh, Yeah. Right before uh, I was having to come into work and the weather was beautiful and the breeze was blowing. I was reading the Proverbs and, uh, Oh, it just felt so good. And uh, it was just one of those moments of kind of isolation, uh, prayer, and just feeling the Lord's presence. And mm-hmm. yeah, it was so encouraging. So that mm-hmm. that was probably the most recent moment for me. Yeah. I love those moments. Those are great. Yeah. It's so nice. Yeah. The, the spring so cool. cultivates a lot of those too. Yeah. I might go have that moment right now, actually. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So if you enjoyed the episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or an enemy. Um, Share it with a cousin. Yeah, we like it when you do that. Yeah. Um, the convention, if you attend, you will be able to attend one of our many panels, of which I agreed to be the the host of none, and will be hosting several. <laughs> so yeah, come check it out, perfect. hang out. There's a ping pong table in the building. Yeah, that's the reason you should go. That and, uh, money. Will matches. had a crazy idea. I got to tell you about Will's idea. I'm gonna do it right now, actually. Um, so Killer Bunnies and the Quest for the Magical Carrot, that game that we love, that we're going to have the ultimate rematch and invite other people to join us in. Will just figured out they have a setup and can get a camera overhand so the people who watch live can just experience like a poker game, us playing Killer Bunnies. <laughs> <laughs> and that sounds fantastic. So yeah. people should Welcome know Welcome to the convention. That. Watch us play this card <laughs> game. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um also, if you want to check out other shows from the Anazal Ministries Podcast Network, um, there's a website link down below so you can see all the other shows that, um, you know, just Christian podcasts that aren't afraid to ask the big questions. Um, of course, thank you all for listening to this series. If you've listened, if this was the only one you listened to, this was the end of a series. Go check out the rest. 
Yeah. Yeah. But you know, we hope you enjoyed it anyway. Uh, come back next week. We'll be interviewing Josh Patterson about his podcast, Rethinking Faith. After that, we'll have a couple of live recordings from our upcoming convention, including the uh, audio stream of the Killer Bunnies rematch. <laughs> um, after that, Don Cock of the You Have Permission podcast will be joining us. And then finally, at the end of season way. one. What? I was just saying, it is Cope, by the way. Is it? Yeah. Good. Thank God. <laughs> and finally, at the end of season one, Francis Chan will be joining us. Yeah. Just yeah. just, yeah. He doesn't know about it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's actually just going to show up to the convention. Yeah, uh, poor Francis. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for listening to the Whole Church Podcast. Remember, you can always sponsor our show at patreon.com forward slash the whole church podcast.